This is Other Voices. We're listening to varied views from local people who might otherwise not be heard. I'm Melissa Hale Spencer, editor of the Altamont Enterprise, which focuses on Albany County, New York. You can reach me at mhs at altamontenterprise.com. I'm talking to Peggy Warner Filkins of Bern. In her 90s now, she chaired the Republican Committee in Bern in an era when not many women were involved in politics. Dan O'Connell controlled all the hill towns and everybody had to be a Democrat, Warner said of the political machine that dominated Albany from 1922 until the 1970s. She says she got her independence from her grandfather. She learned to track animals before she was old enough to have a gun. He taught her to kill a deer with just one shot in the neck. So I became familiar with you when I was a Hilltown reporter because you were the Republican Party chairwoman in Bern, I think for years. Is that right? I was there for a while, yes. And I was also vice chairman of the Albany County Republican Committee. See, that's something I didn't know. So you had reached throughout the county. Um, And as we were talking just before starting the podcast, Peggy told me that she was able to step back from that role because she accomplished her goal. So what was your goal? My goal was to get a Republican town board, and we do have one now. You certainly do. And it's really against all odds because the enrollment in Bern still heavily favors Democrats. Well, it started in the 30s under Dan O'Connell, and he controlled all the hill towns, and everybody had to be a Democrat, and it really made a difference in your tax assessment. (laughs) Wow. Isn't that really unfortunate? And I just was lucky enough to have a grandfather who was independent, and that's where I got my attitude, I think, from him and my father. I was blessed to have the Filkinses as a relative, and my mother was a, a Suto who came from Hungary. Could you spell her name for me, the last name? S-U-T-O. Suto, and she came from Hungary. Well, no, she, her family her, did. Let's back way up. because and, and her mother took her back to Hungary for her baptism. Gosh, so that was really important. It seems so. And there's a Suto Road over near Thatch Park. And there's Filkins Hill Road, of course. <laughs> well, yeah, Filkins is a very, very well-known name in the Hill Towns. But let's just back up to the beginning of your life. So <laughs> we just heard a little bit about how your father and grandfather inspired you because they were independent. But let's just hear where... Geographically, did you grow up? I was born on Jocelyn School Road on my grandfather's house. Oh, that's such a beautiful road. I've been back in there to that. Um, there's a Jewish camp. Yes. On that road. It's it's just a well wonderful setting. And I lived there with my grandfather, my mother and father, until I was five, and. Probably that's where I got a lot of my groundwork is from my grandfather. How nice to have three generations. And he had um, 
a market stall down in Albany, and all week the farm was getting ready to go to market for Saturday morning. I can remember wrapping butter and cottage cheese for the people who wanted to buy it. And he took me once in a while to the market with him. And what was fascinating to me was the first time I ever saw a Negro. And I wondered, I I remember saying, Grandpa, and pointing. And he said, that's a Negro. They're very hardworking people. So I had a good background. Yes, I'd like to hear more about it, though. So your grandfather would take his goods from Johnson School Road into a market in Albany for the city people. Did he raise these things? Oh, yeah. It was okay. a farm. So, um... They, the, if you drive up there now, you would know, not know it had ever been there because the barns and the original house and the chicken houses and everything, they're all gone. There's just one building there that is new, and uh, I don't know who owns it now, but they've got a gate on the driveway so you can't drive oh. in. Well, it sounds like a really uh, neat place. So what kind of things were raised on that farm? Well, chickens and it was a cows and milk and so um, it was all purpose. It was a, it was an old farm. <laughs> oh, isn't that great? The whole town of Burn, the hill towns had a lot of little farms, dairy farms, mm-hmm. and I don't know what happened, but they all stopped. You know. Well, when the city people started moving out, things started to change in our town, and that's when the rules and regulations began to be changed. I can remember growing up feeling so safe, and wherever you can see when you're up in the mountain, we've, we played and ran around, and everybody was fine, and you knew if you did something bad, Whoever caught you was going to smack you and tell your parents, and they were going to smack you. So everybody... So it's like the African proverb we hear so much these days, it takes a village to raise a child. You were... Everybody knew everyone else. Oh, yes. And kind of looked yep. out for... Yep. And, and we all... There used to be a big five-story grist mill in East Burn. And I have a picture of it if you want to see it. And we used to play in front of it. And if the miller wasn't busy, he'd let us come in and go all the way up and look out the top window. Oh, what was the view like from there? Oh, it was just, we had never been up that high, you know? And then um, he took us down to show us the inside water wheel, and that was amazing. Because, you know, that's where the wheat was ground. So it was a a mill that ran on water power? Yes, 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 yes. And that building's just gone now in time? Yes, it's gone. Yeah. I have pictures of it, but it's gone. But what a memory. So you were on this farm on Jocelyn School Road with your grandfather. Was your grandmother there, too? Yes. Um, And then your parents. My parents lived there, too, for a while. And do you have siblings? I Not anymore. I had a a sister who was six years younger and a brother ten years younger, and they're both gone, unfortunately. I'm sorry. Me, too. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's hard. 
And my dad, they bought a house in East Burn, and that's where we all rambled and round. And so when you were five, you were about to start kindergarten. <laughs> you moved. Well, we didn't have kindergarten, oh. and it was first grade in Burn Knox. Oh, so you went right to the big school. Yes. Yeah, and you moved. And at that you- time, it wasn't real big. It's it's certainly grown over the years that I've seen it. Yeah, yeah. So. Tell me where you you and your parents moved, and then you and your siblings grew up. It was in East Burn, and I can't remember the exact dates, but it had to be probably the late forties. My father and mother brought a big house up on near Warner's Lake, and they lived there for a long time. what, What did they do for a living? My dad was a truck driver. And worked for Callanan's Road Improvement Company, and he wrote, uh, ran the blacktop paver oh, wow. that, that made the blacktop on the roads. And your mother, I bet, was busy with three kids. Yes, and yeah. in East Burn, we had a cow and pigs, like everybody. Oh, so you know, even though you weren't on a farm anymore, you still no, but, had your own milk but, and But eggs. People, people had things like that. It was free. We had... We had the real independence of the United States of America at that time. There were not a lot of rules and regulations that you couldn't do this and couldn't do that. People just took care of things and did everything right. Well, those are happy memories to have. I just want to hear a little more detail, though. (laughs) So you're in this big, beautiful house, and you have your own cow for milk, and you have your own chicken for eggs. And did you, were you, was it girl, a child involved in chores and caring for these things? What, like, what, what was your, describe a typical day of your childhood. You just got up and did everything that you were supposed to do. <laughs> and and at that time, um, teenagers babysat. I, I remember babysitting for so many people with, with their babies. And I remember one family, they had a little baby, and it would cry, and I'd sit rocking it and patting it. <laughs> and and that's, responsibility. And that's what we did, you know? Yeah, well, tell me about the school. I bet it, it was the original beautiful old school building that's now the elementary school. And I'll dig through some of my pictures and get, get a picture of of uh, a, a classmate standing standing in front of the original school. How bef- many were in your class? About eighteen. Oh wow! <laughs> <laughs> and, so I bet you knew each other really well. Yes, we class. did, and I and I can't find anybody around anymore. <laughs> wow. What year did you graduate? 1948. Wow. Well, you look younger than your age. Oh, my. I was born 1930. Oh, my gosh. I'm I'm lucky I inherited all this stuff. (laughs) Well, you must do something to keep so fit. So, 18 in your graduating class. Wow. So, you knew each other intimately. Oh, we did. It was a good class. We all... Well, it was just... I don't know how to explain it. We were all buddies. Well, you came through the war years together. Yes, Tell yes. Tell us what that was like. It was very scary, but not the way it is today. We, we just knew things were bad. I can remember they'd have air raid drills, and we'd get under our desk in school. 
but we never were terrified, you know. We just knew things were not good. I had an uncle who was a German war prisoner. I had a cousin who was a tank driver. Uh, I had relatives in the did they service. Did home? Hmm? Did the uncle who was the war prisoner, did he make it home? Yes. And the cousin who and, was a tank driver? And I remember when he came home, um, there must have been a, a veterans hospital or something up north because they said Uncle Henry was in up north in this place. And when he came home, he was so skinny, I can't imagine what he must have looked like when they first brought him home. But uh, And he lived in New Salem. And... Uh, well... There were so many people that were wounded, both physically and mentally. Oh, yeah. And it just well, I don't remember any, at that time, mental discussions like there is on the television. No, I think people just coped with things. Yeah, I'm sure they had post-traumatic stress disorder. They oh, just sure. Didn't, they didn't, didn't call it that, it and they didn't yeah. make a big fuss over it. You know, they just yeah. accepted accepted life as it was. So did you stay in touch with these 18 people that you graduated with? More or less, yeah. yeah. And, and, and I can't find any of them now. Well, I bet you've outlived them. Right? I'm afraid so. Yeah. So what happened after high school? What, what path did you uh, follow? After high school? I, wait, I asked that question too soon. I meant to ask you about school itself. Did you have a favorite subject or favorite teacher? Or? Oh, I liked gym class the best. Really? <laughs> Why? Why gym class? Well, because I like to work on the parallel bars, and we had a wonderful co coach. He was a great guy, Coach Brown, and uh, it was just, I don't know, that's just what I liked. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> and so then after graduation, what happened? Um, I went to work for the New York Telephone Company as a long-distance telephone operator. And where did you have to go to do that? In Albany. Okay. And I had a, my aunt and uncle, I had an aunt and uncle that lived off of uh, New Scotland on Whitehall Road, and I lived with them for about a year, and then I had my own apartment. I think it's... So you were a city girl. For a little while. <laughs> I never would have guessed. I had an apartment on 2nd Street up above Clinton Avenue, above the Palace Theater oh, up in the back. Oh, yeah. And to go to work, I had to walk across the Hawk Street Viaduct to, to get oh, to State yeah. Street where the telephone company oh, yeah. was. And, you know, looking back, I was safe. Nobody... It just seemed like it was... Because I, I would walk alone... Um, and then um, Carl Warner and I became engaged. And how did, uh, how did you meet? <laughs> we grew up in the same town. I remember playing with him when we were little kids. Oh, isn't that He was something? one year ahead of me all the way through school. So when did it become romantic? Uh, when I was a senior in high school, and then we got married in 1950, and. Uh, Tell me about the wedding. It was in the Lutheran Church in East Burn, which is now a school. Yeah. <laughs> it's combined with the church next to the school. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, that's a beautiful building. So uh, no, the in East Burn. 
The one in East Burn. Yeah. yeah. That's now the Christian. Yeah, it's Baptist a tr- Christian yeah. school. Right. Uh, that was our church. And uh, our reception was in what was the original Maple Inn. Oh, I I knew it when Joe Golden used to run. Okay, right. Well, that's where our reception was. And uh, it was just an ordinary wedding. And did you live happily ever after? Yes, we did. And um, I miss him so terribly. We were, we just had a good 54 years of marriage. 54 years. Wow. Yeah, and uh, he was a good guy. He really was. Well, what got you interested in politics? How is it you became I, at a time when really I, there weren't women who I, were running political committees? I think possibly it was my husband's father who, who was a staunch Republican, and I just—and my grandfather, Pilkins, of course— and I don't remember how I got involved, but I knew that things were not right in Bern, and so I just started doing what you should do, you know? I firmly believe that everyone has the right in the United States to choose the party they want to be part of, and that's the way it should be. But at the time that I grew up, you had to be a Democrat in Albany County. Yes, I've heard stories. Oh, it did. You know, and because uh, the O'Connell machine really, really were tough. But um, for some reason, I was not part of it. And never was. And then I I don't remember exactly how I got involved in politics. I think as, a, as an election inspector, I had to go to school, learn the law, and be an inspector and watching things going on at elections, you saw things that... That just weren't right. Like, can you give me an example? <laughs> well, no, I'm not, because it would mean names and... Okay, without names, though. I mean, but uh, they tried to control the election, and I wouldn't allow that. <laughs> and I got involved in politics just gradually, and... And I know you said that you particularly admire Dwight Eisenhower. Is that? Oh yes. So tell me about that. What what is it that? It was just that he was special. <laughs> he he just I don't know. He just stood out. And what, did you follow his career through the war? No, no, I no, after he became elected yeah. president. Yeah. And. and um, I was invited to the White House for, for inaugurations, and it was nice. To, really? Tell yeah. me about that. Oh, I'd have to get all my stuff back. I can't even remember well, some just, of it. Just some impressions, <laughs> just like what you saw, what you felt. You just were awed at some of the people that you met and how wonderful they were. Um, there didn't seem to be a, a I'm the big shot type thing, you know? People that I met that I admired were just real ordinary 
real people. Isn't that remarkable? Yeah. I think so. <laughs> I feel like, uh, you know, the movie Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. Yeah, Mrs. Warner Goes to Washington. Well, <laughs> it was... Mingles with the... What was nice is th the fact that my husband enabled me to do things like that, because he was definitely behind everything I did. Isn't that great? Tell, tell me in what way he was su supportive. Um, well... He, he financed everything I did, and he didn't say you had to stay home. The only time he said I had to stay home is when I became pregnant. I was told I wouldn't have any children, and we got pregnant, and oh, I was excited. <laughs> and I had appendicitis in the sixth month, and it was like, oh, but we made it through, and we had this boy. And I was doing real estate at the time, and my husband said, "No, you have to stay home and take care of the baby." We what? didn't. We didn't have babysitters like they do today, and then we were very fortunate. A few months later, we had a daughter. <laughs> so, so we were lucky to have. Overcame the predictions. Yep. And, and uh, I took care of my kids. Well, that was an era where that is what that was what you did was expected to be. Yeah. So what and was I, unusual about you was that you also had this political role, which most women didn't have in that era. Well, I guess not. But being the oldest in my family, I guess I had the responsibility, and that's what made me. I don't know. I just. Seemed Being firstborn, <laughs> put you in a position where you felt yeah. like you could But I think I, th I think a lot of it had to do with some of the teachers I had in school. How so? Tell us a little about that. I can't think of their names, but we had some real fine teachers, and I was class president and student council president, and I think some of the teachers just gave you the background to. Well, those are two important things. When you were talking about how you liked gym class, you did mention that you were class president and student <laughs> council president because you are you had a leadership role in your well, school. Well, I think it was it was something that was taught to you. But but, but being the oldest child too makes you uh, more responsible. Yeah, I've I've seen studies on firstborn children, and they yeah. do tend to um, you're, you're, you're succeed in ways. I'm a middle child, and I'm kind of in the in between. Yeah, making people work together sort of personality. So that's great. Well, our time has just gone so quickly. I'm wondering <laughs> what what kind of closing thoughts would you like to leave our listeners with? Do you have any, any important things we haven't talked about? Anything you'd like to, to leave us with? I don't know. I've never been interviewed before. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're a natural. Um, no, I'm just me. <laughs> um, I just think that I strongly believe that our country gives people the right to choose however they want to believe in any possible way, from politics to religion to whatever. And, and it's being, they're trying to take that away from us. 
you know. I, I really do admire some of my best friends have completely different ideas than I do, and we discuss them, but we don't get angry at each other. Oh, that's so important. I know Helen Lounsbury, who's a dyed-in-the-wall Democrat, is the one I recommended call you for this interview. So, um, yeah, because I think what's happened in our nation is it's become so polarized. Yes, and it's not right. Having civil discussion, to me... Is good. What's essential. And it's fun. (laughs) (laughs) It's fun to debate your ideas, and and you might get a good idea from somebody if you listen. 